Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Roasted Games Podcast. I am Kaz Gable. Nice. And today we have probably less ambiguity of where to start than we normally do, because we are starting today with some guests on the podcasts. Uh, say hello to Corey and Donnie. Welcome, guys. Hey. How's it going? Hi. Thanks for having us. You guys, of course, are familiar voices, I'm sure, to people. Uh, both of you are from Concept Medley Games. We've had you on before, and always a great time chatting with you guys. So, um, yeah, we talked before and off-podcast, of course, about our topic of a previous episode about the fun in games. And that's kind of going to be our main focus today is, like, how you guys approach it, your thoughts on it, and where um, where is the time in the development process that you you, you know you start considering that, or it starts, I don't know, occurring, <laughs> I guess, to you in... Uh, in that process. So I don't know, uh, should we just jump into there right away? What do you think, Bill? Or should we have a little preamble and catch up a bit? Um, let's, let's catch up a little bit first. Yeah, I agree. Let's save the main I'm, course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I have a couple of particular questions for, for later. So, uh, and it's been a while yeah. since we've had you guys on. So let's, let's, uh, chat a little bit about like what you guys are up to. What's, uh, what's new in your world. Uh, yeah, so I think um, you mentioned in a previous podcast a game that we played together. Uh, yes, and you, you, uh, you were uh, hesitant. We were very to, uh, mysterious about it. <laughs> yes, yes, and I, I will gladly uh, talk about it now. It's uh, okay. it's called Trailblazing, and um, and in this game, uh, you might remember is uh, you uh, inherited basically your own your forest, uh, and there's landmarks in the forest. Everybody gets the same uh, set of cards that represents their forest. It's like a three by three grid. And uh, you are marking trails between the landmarks so that uh, people can visit the different landmarks and enjoy them. And so it's a bit of a spatial puzzle, the way you put tokens between these landmarks and uh, you know create routes that ultimately gain you uh, abilities. You, you've talked about it maybe a little bit, uh, and uh, score victory points. And so uh, it's a quick game uh, that uh, you, yeah, you're building out these abilities, scoring points, and uh, high score wins. Uh, I built, I designed it for the upcoming uh, Game Crafters Small Box contest, which I believe the voting for the first phase of that contest will be September 30th. I think it's the end of this month. Oh, cool. So yeah, uh, uh, keep a lookout for that. Yeah, it's a fun game. As an avid hiker, I I, I thought I love the theme. <laughs> like I, during the summer, we go up to the mountains hiking almost every weekend, and uh, so this is like right up my alley. This theme, and I really enjoyed. I enjoyed the idea because you have landmarks that you're supposed to link between and different areas of the park of interest that you're jumping around to, and so um, I was having fun. I think I got obsessed with the crags. And I wasn't exactly sure what crags were until we all talked about clarifying what crags exactly were. And I was totally wrong. But I like the idea of having to sort of um, be efficient in walking around through a park to see all the best sites. And then uh, scoring points, of course, uh, based around that. But that just sort of rang true for me as someone who has to wrangle a child through a park and be efficient in that way. And so uh, that sounds it makes your game sound more not not as good, but it is a very fun, good game um, as well. So I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun with this one. As a, an avid uh, guy who knows that parks are a thing, uh, I also liked it. I also did not know what a crag was, 
But um, I love spatial puzzles. I'm not always the best at them, but uh, those kind of games are very much up my alley. And uh, once I kind of got the hang of it, it was about turn four or five when I realized there's no way I win this game and I've not been doing it right. But uh, but it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, I definitely enjoyed it. And it's actually for for a prototype. It's it's pretty, too. I, I think uh, I think the the art is clear. I think uh, I, I did a good job all around. I th- thought it brought about uh, some interesting concepts that you don't see all all the time, and so it didn't seem like just like a, a rehash of a bigger game or uh, expansion of a smaller game or anything like that. It uh, I liked it. My only question is: so all four of us inherited a park. Do we know like why or how? What circumstances are we related? the backstory yeah uh, uh, it's actually really underhanded what you know you uh you kind of uh stole it uh, no oh no uh, there, there is... <laughs> we're terrible people yeah, yeah. no it's there uh you know i uh i wrote a a very limited paragraph uh <laughs> to set up the story of the game when i did the rules so uh use your own imagination i guess okay got imagination <laughs> I will say that uh, I, was, I was still in the uh, playtesting phase, and it was actually really helpful playing with you guys. You, uh, some of your feedback led to uh, changes in the game, so uh, it was actually mutually uh, uh, beneficial to, to to get some of your feedback, and it was very helpful. Yeah, I I, I really did enjoy the trail making. I have to say, for some reason, like trail making. Um... I've been playing a few like smaller trail making games or like games where you have to develop a trail or follow a trail or so I really enjoy that one. What's the do you guys know the name of the game? Uh, is it not Kokoro? Uh, it's uh, something like that. This is once again me trying to remember the name of the game. I don't remember, but it's uh, there were um, it's nothing like your game. But the idea of trail making has been on my mind as well. So that was a real fun mechanism jump jump into and, and engage with and like bill said i would second the fact that i think your iconography and the art is really great like there's a lot going on in a small box but it never feels overwhelming and i think once we as with a lot of games you know you get into it a few turns in everything became very clear on um what we were supposed to do and i thought the way you used some of the cards you orient them in different ways depending on how you use them um i thought that was was really well done it, it seemed very very clear to me as after we played a few rounds and got into it Agreed. Yeah, it's uh, I, I really like that concept. I'm a I'm a huge sucker for like multi-use cards where you have like different orientations mean different things. And I know a lot of games do that, but I, I thought yours did it uh, very, very, very well. It uh, it came across as a much smoother game than just like in the prototyping phase. It came came across as that it had been tested and that it was smooth. So. Excellent. If that's like your prototype, you're like, I don't know if this game's ready or not, then uh, I can't wait to play it when it's done. Awesome. Uh, well, I have uh, you know my uh, colleague here, Donnie, to thank for helping with me with a lot of playtesting before he, he he gets the really bad versions before I start to... <laughs> a lot of lunchtime <laughs> plays. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> With terrible art and iconography, probably just like oh, chicken scratches, yeah. trying to figure it out. Not far off. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, that for me as well. So yeah, yeah. 
the game, I mean, the game did, you know, take a while for it to get as polished as, as you saw it. It was, um, cause it went through a couple of iterations where it was almost a completely different game, same theme or similar theme, but different mechanisms, right, Corey? Yeah. And, and I don't know if you're, you're even alluding to this, but it came from an I game that, uh, designed even longer ago that was the same theme uh very different mechanisms had they used dice for to, for building the routes at one point in time so uh i took kind of took what i learned from that game took the parts i liked about it and then added more to it so that's one thing that we donnie and i started looking at is what are some games that like maybe didn't didn't hit as well but what mechanisms could we could we pull forward into a new game and combine combine in a different way? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I think I remember. Do you remember mentioning that that it was um, it started in in another game? So talk a little bit about that about like the design process lately. Is that something you guys are doing more lately, or just looking back at previous designs and kind of going over them for inspiration or mechanisms that you like and getting inspiration there? Or are there games you're working on that are missing something? How does that? What's the chicken before the egg there? Uh, for the me, process. lately, it's been a lot of kind of self-reflection and like, you know, because designing is hard and sometimes you get really frustrated. And sometimes I feel like, oh, man, I have no new ideas. I have no good ideas. But then I look back at like the, the notes app on my phone and I realize, wow, I've been taking like several notes daily about different ideas. I should probably go back and look through the things that I've written, the things that I've thought, and just see if there's anything there. And a couple of times, I've realized that I've had some ideas, you know, a month ago and a week ago that were very similar that could link up and, you know, come up with something. So a lot of times, it's really worth looking back because, you know, I I'll wake up, write down an idea, go about my day and forget all about the idea. So sure. you know, there's stuff there. It's just a matter of going back to it sometimes. Yeah, I really like that idea. I used to do that as, or similarly, I I got away from it for some reason. But uh, but yeah, having that audio or note on your phone, I had a similar similar experience there. So Corey, is that something you do as well, or how do you log your ideas and then able to be recalled later, or you just have that amazing memory? I I think my log is. Uh... An onslaught of text messages to Donnie at seven in the morning. Donnie, put this in your <laughs> put this in your note app. <laughs> I, I, I usually poor Donnie. I, I I come up with ideas like first thing in the morning as I'm getting ready for the day, and I just like I I need to tell Donnie about them and I, I yeah just spew them all out. I'm more I am more of a memory guy though. Uh, I just kind of remember all the different things. Now I need to. I need to do a better job journaling some of this, and and we do. We actually have a shared drive uh, that we we put all of our ideas, and it, it's it is kind of fun to go through because you might might say, oh yeah, I forgot about that that game idea, what whatever happened to that, and then you kind of start to remember, oh it didn't really work because of X Y Z, but uh, then you say, well but, but there was a there was a mechanism in there that I think might be neat to to pull forward, so. Uh, definitely having a journal or some way of keeping track of, of old ideas is super beneficial. Yeah. I use, uh, I use Google oh, go keep. I use Google keep on my phone and I have for years and that is it's awesome because it's, uh, it's so quick and you just pull it up and jot down a couple notes. And I have, I probably have 
a hundred notes, just page after page of like spontaneous, like here's an idea for a theme. Here's an I here's six mechanisms that I think are fun that uh, I want to explore. And yes, drafting is one because you know I'm into that <laughs> shit. But um, yeah, so I I I do the same thing. I I keep anytime an idea pops in, I have to put it down because I have like the worst memory of all time. With uh, I with collab- what we're collaboration, about. we've been we've been like experimenting with lots of different uh, tools, software assisted tools. Like, for example, we've been recently trying to use uh, mind mapping. And I don't know if you're, yeah. you've ever heard of mind mapping before, but uh, mm-hmm. it's an interesting way to, to branch out ideas because you might ask a question, right? Like, how are we going to handle uh, the first player advantage, right? That might be a question you have. And then you have multiple answers that fork off of that. But then each each one of those answers might be well, but that breaks this other thing, and then you can have this giant network of questions and answers that we can now collaborate. And you know, because we're working from our homes almost all the time now, uh, that it's easier to collaborate on those sort of things, uh, so we don't have to meet as much as each other. It's it's a living document. It's like a conversation that happens uh, asynchronously. So it's it's that's been a, a useful tool for us. Lately. Yeah. How are you doing the mind mapping? Are you actually like drawing? Is it just a text document? Because like I've never done mind mapping, but the only time I've seen is in like TV shows where they have a big whiteboard, you know, and it's like the center and then it's branching out. And it's it seems like a very uh, artistic, you know, flowing uh, The idea comes to me and I'm going to jot it down process. So how are you actually engaging with that? Not on the same area or in the same location. So it's actually an online so software tool like a website oh it's specifically for that okay cool for this purpose yeah yeah just and mind mapping.com uh, oh it is <laughs> I just looked it up. Well, that, it that's probably gets. one of them i don't think that's the one we use but uh yeah, right. i think we use something called i think mindmeister i think is what we use yeah mindmeister look it up yeah and it's interactive so as you know as you draw something as you drop something type something the other person can see it in real time and usually we'll be on voice or at least on chat, um, text chat, going back and forth between what we're doing on the whiteboard, um, the virtual whiteboard, and what we're saying to each other. Oh, that's really cool. I like that idea of doing mind mapping together online. That's that's a great idea. So when did you guys start doing that? Is that something that's relatively new to your process, or you've done it for a bit now? So we have a we have a signed game that we um, have uh, been trying to do some of the dev development for now mm-hmm. and there was some the publisher came back with some of the you know things to look at and so we would discuss ideas and we noticed that in our our chat log it was really hard to follow a thread right so that's when uh, we ultimately decide look we need to keep track of these things better so that we can try all these different avenues and we created the mind map and that's when we because uh, we're also both software developers by trade so it was it's a tool that's somewhat used in that industry as well. Okay. And and so uh, we decided, hey, let's maybe it'll work here, and it it did. And not only that, did we we did try a lot of different branches. We truncated branches until ultimately we we solved all all the issues that we were seeing. And um, I I, I want to say a lot of that was in part to the way we we mind mapped it. Huh, that's really great. One of the um, cool parts about the mind map itself was that we had all these great new ideas, but we said, you know what, let's start with what we already have thought of, put that on there. Okay, now let's add all the new ideas. 
let's try the new ideas. Oh, those aren't working so great. Let's go back to the stuff that was already there. And without the mind map, I feel like it would have not really been uh, on the tip of our brain to revisit older ideas. But, you know, it was just so convenient to have everything there. Yeah, I could see that. So I'm really fascinated about the nuts and bolts of this. So do you, like, for instance, in that situation, when you guys have an idea and it eventually... I don't know, it gets to the point where you're either going to do something with it or you're going to table it or, you know, for whatever reason, a lot of times you step away from a design and focus on other things just to rest your brain or something new and that create, can create its own ideas. Um, when you're going back to them, are do you have a series of mind maps that you're going through or do you usually have one giant mind map of a series of ideas that is sort of the focal point? Like, how, what's your approach to the mind mapping process at, actually is kind of what I'm asking, I guess. So I think what we did uh, for this particular game was we wrote down the existing rule set uh, for, in a way that was sort of each little block represented a portion of the game and how it functioned at a high level. Obviously, we didn't go into super details with the rules. And then the branches off of those were the questions on, uh, but this causes problem B, right? And so from that point on, we could say, well, what, what are solutions to that problem? And then we'd branch off of that, uh, including the, so we could, we would have the existing rule, like Donnie said, next to all the, the possible changes to that rule. And so there might be things like branching off. Here's what happens at setup. Here's what happens. Here's what triggers the game end. And, and then you might say, well, what are some problems with the way this works? Uh, so really, for that particular case, we we built the mind map out of out of what was already existing, uh, and then added questions on top of that. We recently started a new mind map for a different game, where we we are starting from zero, where it's kind of like, well, this is the kind of game we want to make. All right, so <laughs> how, what what do we need for that? How many right. how many components? What what are what are some of the the concepts? So it's a much higher level mind map. So it's being done a little bit differently, but still uh, providing the same value, I think. Yeah. So in the middle, you have spiel the Yaris winner, and then you branch from there. <laughs> <laughs> How do we get that? Yeah. Yes, we're reverse engineering that one. <laughs> got to be a way. I really love this idea. Bill, we totally have to try this, uh, try the mind mapping process. That's such a great collaborative way to approach uh, game. And like you said before, about having be able be, the ability to be able to go back and kind of like rehash uh, without reinventing the wheel, concepts that you've already kind of back and forth troubleshooted. I, I really like that idea. I, what I like about it especially is when we make a decision and three months later, we're like, why did we decide that the mind map you can actually go to? And it's like, this was the problem it was solving. This is yeah. why we made that decision. And these were the other alternatives and these are why they didn't work. So that right. we don't have to rehash that conversation because I feel like that's happened uh, and other designs where we, we made a decision and uh, couldn't remember why. <laughs> right. Especially if you got rid of like a component or a mechanism that you really loved. <laughs> there was a real reason. But you're like, why did we do that? Yeah. yeah. So how does it develop in the process as you were going through the development process? So are you referencing referencing the mind mapping? Um, would you say, I'm sure obviously it's an initial thing, but like as you're going through the process and testing things or just playing with ideas, where does it fall away? And then you start using more of playtesting to inform your decisions or are you using it throughout the entire process? It's really throughout the process. We go back and forth. So we'll come up with some ideas. 
we'll take it into playtesting and then we'll um the discoveries made during playtesting is we'll bring that back to the mind map and say okay well this is a bad idea and we'll put like maybe an x icon over a branch and you know collapse that and then add more stuff add more questions that came up during playtesting or more ideas that came up so it's really a, a living document um sure. that you know that I'm I'm happy that we have yeah no it sounds amazingly useful that's a great that's really great advice i think to use this as a tool even if you are in the same room i could see it just being very very helpful to just record your thoughts and the directions you're going yeah all right mind mapping i like it guys already great stuff <laughs> it's already going amazingly well <laughs> um so what else is new in, in your world i see that oh real quick i did want to mention that um you guys have a video on unboxing of trailblazing on your facebook page so if anyone wants to take a look at the game you could go there i don't know if there's another place that people could get a gander at it um, yeah, right you can now? see the the full shop page. It's basically it explains the whole game. There's a how to play video. Uh, there's animated uh, gifs for you know how to play it as well. You can read all about it. It's uh, at thegamecrafter.com/slash/games/slash/trail-hyphen-blazing. Okay. So uh, yeah, the, or or just go to GameCrafter and search for Trailblazing. Uh, you'll you'll see the whole page on it there. And again. It, It'll be listed as one of the entries into the contest, uh, a small box challenge at the end of the month. So do they, um, their contest at the end of the month, do you know when you'll know, or is, is it pretty quick? Because you've done Game Cracker competitions before, right? Yes. So typically there's this uh, public vote for in the, for the first week. Because they get so many entries, they, they don't want to overwhelm the judges, and they try to help narrow the uh, scope of the games that the judges must look at. Now, obviously, they can look at all of them if they choose to, but just to help them a little bit where they, their attention should go, they, there's this initial vote, public vote, and then the top 20, I want to say, uh, become semifinalists that are guaranteed to get attention from the, the judges. Uh, and then the judges might take another several weeks, maybe months sometimes, oh, to, <laughs> to narrow that down to... Uh, seven or less finalists and then that that process is even longer so uh, the, i think they have a, not all the contests have taken a, a super long time but i think they have one now that's uh, been going on for like a year and a half so oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that's... one uh, that that one's the running joke right now they're not normally all that long but they can take i want to say six months sometimes you ever hear back about um the was it apes in the apiary or pocket uh, <laughs> yeah so pocket I, i've something. been um i've been pick pocket apiary i've been pitching that game uh since you you guys played it and it did last month get signed so uh nice. hopefully uh you'll see that one in a year or so uh oh, on, nice. on shelves i hope yeah Excellent. oh that's exciting that is exciting yeah. i know you said you had a, a signed game but but you didn't say what it was. Maybe now that just that's how I do it. I just name all the games I've played, <laughs> and eventually. Careful, careful. There's there's one we definitely cannot mention. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but we can mention with who, uh, Donnie? Oh, yeah? Okay. Uh, uh, maybe. Yeah, we can. He said we could. Okay. Uh, uh, we just can't say what the game is, uh, and and we got to be a little bit hush about that. But uh, we we did sign a game with Floodgate Games as well. Oh, nice. Right. Excuse me. You've been That's bidding. Cool. Uh, I think, Corey, you have four games, right? 
sign total? Yeah, two, two, two are with Donnie, and then I have two, two of them on my own. Yeah. All within a year, right? I was gonna say, uh, you guys have, yeah. Wow, that's I've, very impressive. Good on you guys. <laughs> Thank you. If I can, uh, I, I mean, obviously, uh, the last, you know, year and a half has been horrible in many ways, but uh, there's a silver lining. Uh, everyone has been brought to online, so it's been a lot easier to make connections with people because there, there were no conventions for a while so it was a little bit easier without having to do all the traveling to to start meeting people uh on, you know on different online avenues so that that i can say has been very helpful because i was able to to meet and pitch uh virtually yeah. so uh, i want to say that that's part of the reason that's helped yeah i was gonna say last week like i feel like um it's been it'd been a while since we talked intermittently until just recently and, and last we talked you guys had a lot of these ideas and in, in, in the process and you were pitching them and so it's really great to hear that they're coming home and finding uh, or finding homes um floodgate i'm trying to remember floodgate sagrada right that's their yeah sagrada. that's their big game yes yeah that's the one i mean they've done a lot of others of course but sagrada is the biggie and then um uh i think fog of love yes that's that's recent they um they they're basically they uh, took it over it. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, they're they're getting the publishing rights for it. Yeah, that's happening yeah, I thought I now. Saw something I think. About yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. We have we have a lot of their games though. They're all great. Uh, Bosk uh, is a lot of fun. That's the that's another kind of walking through the woods game. Um, we got yeah. there's I've heard a uh, lot of good things about Bosk. Cosmic Colonies is a Scott Elms design. It's a uh, a polyomino game. Uh, Holy is more a more recent one, so they are. What I what I love about their games is they're all very colorful. Yeah, and, uh, I was just gonna say, and they're all all a bit puzzly, uh, uh, puzzle strategy games. I want to say they're, you you kind of always know when it's one of their games. Yeah, their art, their the colors they use are just very <laughs> vibrant. Yeah. Especially Holy is like insanely vibrant. That's really cool. It's beautiful. They definitely pop for sure. Yeah. That's the one that uh, three-dimensional game. That's crazy. Yeah, that's right. The one they're releasing at Gen Con, I think. Oh no, they're taking pre-orders at Gen Con right now. Uh, that uh, we had an opportunity to play test even is uh, Vivid Memories. That's a really cool game. Yeah. Yeah, Gen Con's God, uh, It's uh, it's like an hour and a half from my house over in in Indianapolis. So. Ooh. Oh wow! I wanted Literally. I wanted to go. You you got next next year. Let's all go. You can stay next here year. next year. Yeah, we're not gonna get there by earlier today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this weekend, guys, do it. Yeah. Um, but it's close, and we could we could do that next year. I'm I'm still a little like I'm still a little pandemic nervous myself. So. Oh yeah, as you should be, as you should be. Yes. But oh, vivid. God, as vivid. more people should be. But this isn't like a pandemic podcast. I don't think. Did we play Vivid with you guys? That this game looks so familiar to me. That's right, Kaz. You you did huh. you played it with us? Yeah. Yep. Okay. I was gonna say. <laughs> I swear to God, I've played this game, and I'm pretty sure it's with you guys. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that's that. It was a great game where it's um, you're in like the mind. You're creating connections in the mind, right? Or memories, or um. That's right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That was a really fun game. I didn't realize it was floodgate. That's cool. Oh. Yeah, I huh. think we had to. We made you. Uh, <laughs> we made you like uh, 
sign your silence away. So because yes, uh, we, weren't, we weren't supposed oh, to talk yeah. about it then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I do remember that. There was a hush-hush around it, but it was great. It was fun to play. I really liked that game. Once again, the yeah, they really do do a great job with the art. I am really impressed. I'm just kind of scrolling through the games that I've not heard of from them, and they're all very, like... A lot of attention to detail to the art and presentation, which is which is always nice to see, of course. But specifically, the color schemes just really, really draw you in. Yep. Huh. Cool. I'm glad, so glad to hear you guys are having such a great year. So, um, all right. Well, let's you know what? Let's segue into our main topic and uh, kind of jump around there. We can jump around to a lot of stuff. But I'm, you know, we kind of started into the process right now with the mind mapping, and I really like that. But like, this could tie into it. But um, yeah, let's jump into the fun of it. What are, what are your guys of the thoughts? How do you approach it? Is it something you think about overtly, or is it something that sort of comes to you overall? I don't know. I would just say, um, just kind of give us your thoughts on how you think, how much of a factor the fun of a game is, and if it is at all, when that comes into design, at what stage? Is it an early stage thing where you think of a mechanism like, that's a fun idea? Or is it just more something that sort of comes with good design? Fun will come, kind of the field of dreams <laughs> idea of if you make it well, it will be fun. Um, yeah, overall, where do you start when you guys think of fun in a game in your process? I'll start because Corey and I are very different. So I'm sure we have very different approaches. Um, so I will confess that I am in a bit of a fun crisis uh, right now with my designs uh, because of kind of the, the things that you brought up, right? Like for me, fun is solving puzzles and designing a game is a puzzle in and of itself. So sure. sometimes I'll come up with what I think is a cool or clever mechanism and then suddenly I'll just be, you know, I'll wake up in the middle of the night, but is it fun? And I can't really get that out of my head. So I've been kind of circling around very recently that question of, you know, what is fun? And is it just, you know, am I navel gazing way too much or, you know, what's going on? And that's and recently in order to try and get out of that uh -oh, rut. I oh my computer just cut off. I to get out of that rut. I um I reached out to Corey and was like, dude, we need to play more games because I just need to remind myself of what fun is. So sure. for me, it really is about you know I'm so I'm not gonna stop making games. I'm not gonna stop you know with my personal process, which is for me trying to discover cool mechanisms and putting them together in what I feel to be a fun way. But the thing that I'm not afraid to do anymore is to come up with something and just throw it away if it doesn't really work out. And this happened a couple of weeks ago. Um, I spent probably way too long on a design and, you know, made all these like prototype art and these rules and these spreadsheets and this and that. And I put it together in front of our play group and it just was not fun hmm. so i was like okay well i guess i'll just start over and that's that's, that's what like i did you need a you know? new play group you know <laughs> yeah that's it's them not you yeah those uh, people obviously do not know how to have fun it's not your design it's not when, how this works yeah oh i would second that for sure but when um <laughs> When you brought it before them, though, how was that? Like, were you like, this is going to be great. They're going to love this. And like, were you, how much of a jarring 
situation was that for you in that fact that it didn't feel like they were engaging with it on the fun side? Well, I'm already super, like, not confident, you know? So so it wasn't the case where I was completely and utterly shattered because, you know, I thought I had the greatest thing in the world. I thought, oh, well, it's going to need some work, but, you know, it's something that I can work with. And really, I just had to break it way back to to um, get it to a spot where right now it's like, okay, I have something that's taken apart on the table that I can come back to, but I need some space from it because what I sort of built it up to be is not what it ended up being. Sure. Okay. That leads me to another question then is, uh, so when, when you say it was not fun, like nobody had fun, is that what they told you or is it just like you're watching them play other games and they're all happy and then they play this one and they're like crying right. or like what <laughs> what's I like mean, where, where where does the the indication come that this just isn't fun right and no so it was definitely just a feeling it was a okay this is dragging this isn't people aren't like engaged they're not talking they're not you know having the fun the, the parts that i thought were going to be fun aren't fun it's tedious it's taking too long all the stuff that you don't really want to happen during a play test were were happening so at, at a certain point i cut it off and said okay let's just talk about it so that we can move on to other stuff sure makes sense so in that situation that like it, that sounds like kind of getting really engaged with the mechanisms and the the like for you the fun of the design and aspect and 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 then suddenly throwing it on the table and realizing, oh, I might be have gotten a bit too in the weeds here, mm-hmm. and then taking a break to let yourself kind of re-see the fun in the game design that you've come up with. Am I on? That's not about right. Kind of the the, yeah. the arc of that. That sounds exactly right. And and you know, so very recently, like literally yesterday and today, I've come up with a different concept for a different game that is so like spare and just kind of purely for the fun of it and not too much in the weeds of okay well let's you know do all this extra crazy stuff and all these a million combos that i think are going to happen you know i have something that i i really like i played it i find it fun i'm going to put it in front of people and it's you know it's not like i spent a lot of time on it so i'm hoping that it'll at least be something that i can build on later but i don't want to get too far ahead of myself without you know the baby steps of getting to okay well what is it that i'm trying to get people to feel when they play this yeah that's interesting then so it's an earlier process or an earlier testing of that um vibe of the game or at least the uh, impression of the game from everybody right right yeah i always wanted that too like when because i i i I would assume that's probably something that a lot of designers have, have experienced is that just you just kind of get lost in your own design and then you can kind of get lost in the math of it where it becomes like all the mechanisms interlock perfectly and there's a real clear logic to actions in the game but then there's a dryness that can happen with that to the games i guess the only way i can describe it where it just becomes almost too uh sequential it might be the way to put it or at least um not i don't know i because when i think of fun in a game i think of a bit of like unpredictability and wildness and and that doesn't have to be like the game is so lost in itself and its story perhaps that the mechanisms fall away and there's just not anything you can depend on but there's something to that where 
I'm sure we've all played games that are just too, way too tight in design, and it just feels like you're kind of stymied. And the mechanisms might be intriguing, but there's something about it that just feels a little constrictive, uh, even though the game itself works well. And so it's interesting to see that process in your examples where you've you've kind of had this one that where you were probably excited about and you thought you were going great and then it was like oh <laughs> and then the other one where less time but maybe easier uh, uh reception from the group um at different stages right. so i don't know where where would you guys see in like um i don't know where would you follow up with that in like broader designs i mean is it is it an issue of too many mechanisms without testing can in inhibit fun growth, or is it just an issue of um, too much complexity can have a negative effect on fun, or neither of those? Go for it, Corey. Well, I I don't know how to answer that exactly. I was just trying to think though. Like, I think where Donnie landed last is sort of what I would was going to say for how I try to incorporate fun is. Make make something and hurry up and get it to the table, right? I think we yeah. can sometimes spend so much time thinking about all the different rules uh, that uh, that you you put so much energy in it, and then you finally put it in front of somebody, and then you find out that maybe maybe it wasn't as fun. So, trying to the the whole fail fast attitude, right? Try to get it to the table, yeah, and then just ask what parts of it were fun, and then I think Donnie and I do this a lot. After, the, after you get that information, you're like, how do we lean into that? How do we make sure that they're doing that fun thing more? Right. Uh, and no, and take the things that are less fun away or make them or mute them so that they're not as big a part of the game. So that way you can like and emphasize the fun part. Now that's easier said than done. And then that leads me to, you kind of asked, how do you leverage those things? I've tried to define fun, which you can't do, but like I tried to think, <laughs> well, what's fun to me? And, sure. and a lot of analyzer players, it's being clever. Well, how do you? How can you be clever? And I think what that is is um, having having choices where you see see some sort of pattern. You you make a plan, and then you you see that plan happen, and then you feel good that you that that plan happened and it worked the way you wanted, right? Sure. So there's like that adrenaline rush of I I, I came up with an idea and it worked for me. But even if it doesn't work for you, that that adrenaline is still kind of fun. That's why push your luck can be a lot yeah. of fun, right? Is the how I could go one more and I could get something really good, and that feels great. But even if you explode, that 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 tension doesn't feel great, but it's like it's part of the entertainment of the game. Yeah. So for me, I think it's it's a lot of that is looking at on a player's turn, how can they come up with a plan and you know, follow through with that plan and then reaps the rewards of that plan. I think that ties in real closely to like, uh, one thing I always think of when I design games is uh, choices are great. Like you can have lots of choices, but you have to have lots of good choices because like, I, I think as like Kaz was saying, it's sometimes it feels it's so mechanical and some things can be so uh, like spreadsheeted out that there's one good choice. There's a hundred choices, but there's one good choice. And anybody who's played the game or can kind of spot the logic behind it knows that. And I think that's the brilliance. For me, that's the fun is which of the multiple good options are there for me. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes uh, It absolutely does. Yeah. 
So, uh, that's one thing that actually comes back in, in player feedback is there'll be turns where it's like, well, I don't have any, any, well, that's the worst case. I don't have any good choices. You never want to hear them say that. Right. Uh, but, or, or they have the, I only have one good choice and that's no fun either. Yeah. That's so, a fun killer. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I think one of the, like, one of the criticisms I've heard from a play test was I won, but I don't know why. And it doesn't feel good. <laughs> Yes, that's Kaz on every single game he's ever played. <laughs> All my way, my attitude. I have no idea why, guys. <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brad, no. What does that do? <laughs> nah, let's not bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I see that as a problem too. Where it's just like I, like you, engage with the mechanisms to the best of your ability, and yet you are you know I, you somehow are a savant in the game that's not fun either because then you don't have any kind of history or understanding of how you got there so it's not repeatable and it's probably not um i don't it's just nothing you know concrete it's just more of a happenstance and chance and just intuition that got you to that point so i could see that by fe- kind of falling flat as well yeah uh, another big fun killer for me is um really fun and interesting mechanisms that you just don't get to use where it's like this is in here but if you choose to do that it's not an optimal choice like you want to have all this fun over here doing this one part of the game but the game really directs you in a separate direction and you're like but but i want the drafting and and you're like no you're gonna do the you're gonna do the set collection instead or whatever and uh i there there are lots of games for me that that do that and that's kind of a fun killer I think. Yeah, that's a that's a good one too. Uh, or yeah, especially the the game guides you a certain way, and and it's a it's a losing strategy. So that's another thing that we've been talking about is putting uh, what I, I've been calling guideposts in the game, where it's like you're not telling the player what to do, but you're leading them down the path that will help them be successful in the game, but also make you know make feel like they're making choices. That's really interesting. So what are your thoughts on that? Without, Because, I mean, some games, I'm trying to think of an example, but I've definitely played games where I felt like there was too much of a push in one direction. like they, And it kind of became, like, annoying. It's like, yeah, I get that I'm supposed to go here. So, <laughs> so, so this came up in Trailblazing, yeah. even. So in Trailblazing, okay. there's you, you make these routes, right? And the longer the route, the more points you get. But no matter how long the route is, you get a new ability. So gotcha. uh, I think this might have been one thing that was happening to you, Bill, when we play is you make these small routes. And so you're getting all these abilities and you thought you thought you were doing good. And it turns out, well, you weren't getting any points because the routes were short. So the, what, what was added is uh, that you can only have so, as many uh, abilities as you have, um, there's draw cards next to it that have slots. So it basically is telling the player, look, you have enough abilities now, you have to start drawing more tokens and making longer routes. Um, so that way, the the it's kind of guiding the player that way to start scoring points and not just gain abilities. Because eventually, you could have the best engine in the world, but if you're not scoring any points, what's the point? Yeah, right. Because I like another thing that I've been um, wary of in my designs is giving a player enough rope to hang themselves with, and I feel like sometimes if you're not careful, you aren't gonna you're not gonna have a a good or great first game experience because oh i didn't know i wasn't supposed to like just go barreling down this route because the game let me do that right 
So yeah. But at the same time, yeah, you don't want to stymie like the idea of having that freedom to find new strategies within the structure, uh, and get, not be feel like you're kind of confined by the system in a frustrating way. So I can right. see that that's a hard balance. It is. But I feel like Corey definitely struck that balance with um, with the trail blazing game. Yeah, I think like once you mentioned like I didn't I wouldn't have put it I wouldn't have called it a guidepost um, by the time, but I do remember that mechanism and I it did work as intended when we played. Um, I remember having that moment of realizing like oh okay I need to switch gears here or at least start focusing on you know point generation, and that so it worked <laughs> it worked really well and it was very subtle so I didn't overtly notice it. So I definitely would agree with that. So the thing that you guys brought up that did change since you played definitely uh, is you're you you weren't sure what to how to get started like what what should I be doing first? Uh, so now uh, all the players start with one route so they can either use that route right start trying to build towards that route right away, or they can even uh, if you remember you can discard a route yeah. to to gain some benefit. So right off the bat they have some more resources to themselves. To, to kind of get them started. So that's another thing that comes up in a lot of our games is the very first turn is the hardest one to make fun, I guess, where not so much fun, but they make sure they know what they're doing. Like, what should sure. I do on my first turn? Uh, and so that one always comes up in a lot of our designs is uh, how do we make it the the player feel like they, they know what they're doing on the first turn? It's not that hard to, once they're mid game, it's it's hard to get them started. When it's the first time they played, yeah, and and also give them the opportunity to do that. Like with, I like that with the card and being able to exchange it in that situation or follow the route because there's two directions you can go, and each one is going to lead you down a different path, but both yep. are viable as strategies. And so that I got to imagine too, that's a consideration in other games as well, where you've got to make sure that that <laughs> the options you're giving them are all like feasible, <laughs> as opposed to. Uh, this is stronger than the other. Each one within the game, and it's still early days, so you've got a lot of time to follow through with those strategies, but each one has a direction that'll go that will be a fun strategy. Yeah, and we talk about now, this is another topic that comes up is uh, how, you know, designing for the first play versus designing for the 10th mm -hmm. play, yep. right? Mm -hmm. uh, how do you make the both of those fun? Uh, sure. And that's actually really hard because making the first play might be fun because the player did really well, but now the 10th play isn't fun because they basically play the same way every single time. Or right. you make the 10th play fun because you added all this strategy, but the first play isn't fun because they don't know what to do. And they, and they don't score well, and so they never want to play again anyways. Right. You, you never get to the 10th play. Yeah. So the first versus 10th uh, problem is, is real. I think that a lot of a lot of designers fall back on, and I, I kind of think of this is a little bit lazy, uh, I think it's it's good, but I, I think a lot of designers fall back on that problem with uh, like variable setup and variable play and things like that, where um, the the map is different every time, or this uh, there's all different cards every time, or you never know what's so so that tenth time you play, it's a different experience. Um, but it just seems like there should be. Like if you're if you're if your puzzle if you're what you're designing is, has enough depth, I don't think you you absolutely have to use that as like the only thing that makes it fun the tenth time. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. So what do you how do you guys approach that? And like, what's your philosophy there for 
making it consistently fun or refreshing. Because I mean, there are games. Because the other thing too is like, I'm I'm definitely someone who like doesn't eat the same thing every day. My wife could eat the same meals her entire life and be fine. Like that's she doesn't <laughs> doesn't care. But there's like games that I love. I would not want to play them consistently, but I do come back to them. And so it's not necessarily like uh, I want to play those ten right in a row. But there are also games that I've played a couple times I like, but I, I don't come back to, and I don't couldn't necessarily put my finger on it. And so how do you guys, yeah, what's your philosophy around that? I think um, this comes back to something that I think Corey mentioned, or someone mentioned earlier in the podcast, but just the idea that there are more than one strategy and more than one viable strategy, and you're not on rails, you know, like in your first hand, it's not like, oh, well, this is what I got to do. You, you know, if there's, you know, if you have good choices and, you know, and maybe it didn't work out this time, but you think to yourself, okay, well, you know what, next time I'll, I'll know what to do. Or next time I'll try this other thing. You know, I feel like that is what makes a game worth coming back to. Yeah. Well, and like what Bill mentioned too, I, I'm just thinking of other games that I come back to again and again. And like, I, I like to play the Arkham Horror living card game. And so that obviously is... Uh, a game where setup is going to be different every time, even though it's a story-based game. So if you're playing a scenario again, you kind of know the beats of the story, but it's more of what order and in what way are they going to present themselves is the fun for replayability. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just trying to think of like, but that's a that's a bigger game necessarily. So, you know, your game, let's talk about Trailblazers, your game, of course, you're going to be getting different route cards that are pop up to have the option to grab or different opportunities to use the resources that are presenting themselves to, to implement that in each different setup as well. Um, is there another mechanism or a way that you use to kind of reinforce that of, of having consistent, uh, or not consistent, but inconsistent setup or experiences throughout your games? I think uh, one of the crutches I lean on is that uh, a little bit of point salad. So if you have lots okay. of a, a number of different ways to score points, I think this goes to what Donnie was saying. You might try scoring all your points through. Your, there's a private objective. You might try to do them all through that one time. The next sure. time you might be like, ah, you know, what? I'm just going to go for super long routes. A uh, uh, third time you might say, look, I'm going to get the abilities because some of the abilities have victory points on them. I might get the ones that have victory points on them and score them that way. Uh, that's that's one way I try to do it is having lots of not lots of different ways, but you know, a number of different ways of scoring to, so that you can blend your score somehow. Um, yeah. And then the other one I use a lot is different player powers. I love uh, asymmetric player powers. So like you, you might play one game with one power and then the next one, I want to try this power. So right there you have a different game because you want to see how can I maximize this player's power this time. Yeah. Yeah, I would also second that. I, well, Bill and I both are huge fans of Ace Number as well, and um, I, that's I think probably my favorite way that I think a lot of games do it is creating a different, you know, starting point basically for the game, and sort of laying it out in, uh, yeah, you know, an unfamiliar way or a familiar way. Like my classic example is if I'm, a lot of times we'll play a fa big fantasy game and I don't know what to do, so I just choose like a barbarian. I know I can do that. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so I can bash things. All right, good. And then. Um, and, and a lot of like a lot of games really do well by yeah that's a fun strategy and you'll have fun but there's a lot more cool asymmetrical ways to discover this and you can still bash things with I don't know a ranger or whatever or whatever yeah. but excuse me but you can also I don't know shoot some arrows as well so 
yeah, I, I have to say that's one of my favorite ways to engage with games right now is um, the or the to feel the replayability as the asymmetry, even if the game structure changes in or the setup changes, the asymmetry is really what gets me coming back. Yeah, I agree with that. So I I have a, a question, like an overriding one that I has been I've been trying to think of this entire time how to phrase this, but um, Kaz and I have sort of a long-standing, maybe not see eye to eye on this, per se. And I'm curious uh, how you guys, what you guys think. Um, do you think that um, a great theme can make up for, can make up the fun for mediocre mechanisms or vice versa? Can a really crappy theme be made super fun with, really great mechanisms and what and how do you balance that wow i feel like we we've also been having this debate right Corey? (laughs) it's pretty close to a debate we were having recently yeah so i mean my answer is going to be a cop-out answer and it it depends right i think that it could go either way i think in general no a bad game is a bad game but there are some times where a great theme, a great idea, a great pun can go a long ways. And I'll just be really forgiving about the the game, you know, if it's a theme that I maybe personally like or am invested in for some reason. And vice versa, there's some games that are ugly but are are just fun, you know, because they hit a different part of your brain than the one that cares about you know the the art for example like patchwork yeah. is so much fun but it's like who cares about making quilts i mean maybe you guys are big quilters i don't know but uh <laughs> but I, like that's like the total i don't care about this name whatsoever sort of thing yeah i'm actually the weirdo that likes the weird the, the household themes but i was gonna say something to uh, uh to Donnie's point is i don't think a great theme can make a bad game good but a great theme will make a good game better, like awesome, right? Sure. Yep. So like, if the game's already good, the theme will somehow make it even better. Like you'll enjoy it more because you'll get immersed into it. It's hard to immerse yourself into a great theme if it doesn't mesh well with the mechanics necessarily. So while you might really like that theme, if the game doesn't feel like that theme, then and you're not or you're not having fun doing it i don't i don't know that it can be saved unless you're Kaz. in which case if if the theme is exploring a jungle and your card game sucks (laughs) i will continue to play it for like like a hundred times i will make spreadsheets about it yeah i I did want to tell you that is one of my go-to themes too is uh the the kind of the indiana jones style explorer games i i love lost ruins of arnak uh those those that that is a theme that i am a sucker for also i think that's what's timing me most about this game is like i should like this why am i not liking this this is great i love this theme i like this theme so i'm gonna play it until it's a good game that never works (laughs) i don't think i've ever done that though (laughs) well it was a smallish game but uh except for maybe time travel games i i do give them the benefit of the doubt (laughs) that's a tough that's a tough genre to to, to plan out in board game form for sure. It is. 
Yeah, that's a that's a tough one though too. I'm trying to think of other games as well. Like time travel games are a good example of that, but other games where the whole purpose is to replay it um to find the magic of the game. And I don't know, like I, those games are so hard. There's not a lot of them out there that I can think off the top of my head, but like that is just not <laughs> it just doesn't seem fun to me. Some people really do like the grind. I have a friend who really loves the Dark Souls board game for some reason. And like that video game was rough, but the board game is just, oh my God, like uh, just a grind. But there's much less intense ob- or, uh, examples than that. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I would definitely say that like you, I'm drawn to certain themes and I would probably give them the benefit of the doubt. I've definitely bought games and was like, yeah, this is going to be great. Played them a few times. And then it sort of took someone else being like, yeah, this isn't a great game. And then I was like, yeah, you know what? You're right. This isn't a great game. <laughs> but I really wanted to like it. So I was a little bit blinded by the theme. Um, so this that was terrible. But let me finish this spreadsheet real quick. Hold on. Oh, yeah. OK. <laughs> I think I've got it. All right. I'll figure it out, guys. Just give me one second. I got to input the rest of the math here. And then, uh, yep, nope, it doesn't work. It's all luck. <laughs> Still too random. <laughs> yep. But yeah, I don't know. It's a it's an interesting balance because, um, like, I don't know. What can you guys think of an, an experience you've had where you wanted to like a game that bad and the theme was just perfect, but the mechanisms were falling short, or it just felt like a lot of thing, times you'll play a game where the theme is great, the mechanisms are good, but then it just feels like it should have had one or two more passes to make it really good, and it just I don't, just feels like not quite finished yeah that was um a, Corey gave me a game uh for my birthday last year uh it was called well i won't name it by name but it was about my name this is roasted games we roast games all the time <laughs> uh, well it was uh i think it was called dice brewing is that the game that, Corey? That, that yeah i think that sounds right uh that right I, yes, it's a good game, but I'll let Donnie continue. <laughs> yeah, so like I really, I was super excited about it. I opened it up and, you know, there were parts of it that when I looked at it that were like, oh, this is neat. And there were parts that were like, well, this looks needlessly confusing. And then I read the rules and then I read them again and then I read them again and it just didn't really make sense. And then we started playing it and there were parts that were great. And then there were other parts that were just like, I don't understand. This is clunky it really could have used a couple more passes i really wanted to like this game the like even the dice themselves were beautiful but you know there were just other parts of it that just made it a shame yeah that's too bad yeah I'm looking yeah right that's now. always it does look cool that, that that's always the worst when you you get a game and you're like this should be just it's almost there like it's almost there if somebody had just play tested it a couple of more times with honest play testers this could have been this could have been it yeah those are those are unfortunate that was exactly that game there was moments where it's like this game has so much potential it's i'm actually i'm you know and we were having fun at parts but then there was other overall there were some parts that like why'd they make that decision and i try not to to, to criticize because you know as a done you know that when you make uh, a decision there's there's probably good reasons for it but uh, yeah. uh it it was almost there as like it's still a good game uh but it's like almost there being a great game it's, you know we love dice and the manipulation and the drafting of dice it's it's got all the things that we 
we generally love, but it, it was like one of those almost there kind of games. Yeah. And we, and we like beer and it was, and it felt <laughs> like, you know, Oh, let's make this specific beer that I've actually heard of and, you know, want to make. So it, it had almost everything. Yeah. That's so interesting too. So does it, is it one of the situations where you could, you could do a couple house rules and kind of take it over the top there or. Um, some, of that, that, it... some of it's production too. Like they, like some of the boards were way smaller than like you'd want them to be. And I think, you know, they're probably trying to keep the cost down, but uh, I think it has big, chunky, awesome dice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But then the boards are small. So, right. okay. like, well, you could have maybe saved money on making slightly smaller dice and had bigger boards. I don't know. Um, yeah. That was one of the things I remember, you know, was tiny tokens, tiny player mats. Uh, like, I think even the cards are a little bit small. Yeah, yeah, they were weird cards that you put stuff on as like a placeholder. There were tokens that were double-sided, so it's like a, a one on one side, but a two on the other. So for I remember I, the big thing. It's it's kind of it's got an element of worker placement too, and you can like block off if you use something, but instead of having a shared central board that I'm literally blocking off from other players, all the other players have to know that you use that and then cover it up on their own boards. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's a little so, bit clunky. Yeah. Again, because that was because they decided to give everyone their own individual card instead of having maybe a big central board. Right. Uh, so that was one of the things that was like, oh, come on. Just that's a little bit more uh, into the production, and this would have been would have been really good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, looks, it looks cool. I'm certainly not going to, you know, go buy it. But Unless I'm going to get it for Kaz for Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> I'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's quite interesting, too, in that example, too, because you kind of wonder where, you know, this, you never know as well, because certain, like, production deadlines can come to play, certain, like, deadlines in general come to play. Where where did Where did certain decisions get made? for the sake of expediency or where did decisions get made for the sake of what the game they wanted the game to be i mean it makes sense where you're brewing your own beer so you'd have your own little player board but then that comes with like you said that comes with its own pitfalls of well shared information is not as easy now because you have to put it on your bone board so it's almost like well, why not make a separate board for that shared information stuff but you kind of wonder where those decisions were um sh off shot from yeah yeah, makes you wonder. There's another game uh, recently, and again, it's a good game, and it's by my favorite designer, uh, Phil Walker-Harding. Uh, there's a Tetris game that's out now. Uh, and it's, oh, it's yeah, a pretty cool game, but it's bogged down by uh, production choices. There's, a, there's this clear sticker that goes on the back of your little Tetris Older, where all the parts fall down so that's cool you're actually putting tetris pieces into it and but and and you get a bonus point at the end of the game if the color piece you put in matches the color sticker on the back however at the end of the game because they're transparent you can't see where any of these stickers are anymore no. because they blend <laughs> right in with the pieces and so going back and trying to get your score is like well, what's my score <laughs> oh yeah, I'm looking at it right now. That is very it looks very hard to figure out. But uh, and so this is a, by no fault of the uh, you know the design. I don't think I think it's just how how they followed through with production. And again, it's a it's really fun. I I enjoy it. I, my kids love it. Uh, but then there's that just 
that that kind of uh, missed, <laughs> you know, fumbled at the goal line almost. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, such right, an well, easy uh, adjustment potentially. So, did you guys have any any anything else on your mind as far as like anything we've talked about, like fun or themes or Christmas presents or anything anything on your world, mind? Or... Yeah, you know what's uh just make make sure everybody had a chance to to get everything that was on their mind out. We did just play Dune Imperium uh, the other night, oh, and yes. that game is really good. That's oh, right cool. Here. I yeah, I really yeah, that's on the list for sure. I definitely want to try. Yes. Uh, who did someone I was just talking to was playing had just recently played it too. I can't remember who that was. Might have been my friend Alex, but um so yeah, your thoughts was just it lived up to all the the hype. Yeah, and you know it's a good game when everyone tells you how good it is and you're kind of now going in, well, it better be really good. And right. it is. <laughs> yeah. So uh I mean for me, that's that. I mean, it's Donnie kind of new too. He's like, I think you're gonna like this game, and uh, I uh, oddly, I'm I'm not that interested in the theme. I'm not really a, I don't, really, I haven't really watched Dune or paid a lot of attention to it. So that was the one thing that kind of was like, uh, okay, I'll play it. Uh, sure. And 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 I think most people agree the even the the graphic design of the game is you know it's good. It's not great, but uh, the game is fantastic. Right. Nice. Yeah. I've heard, I haven't heard here. anyone. I haven't heard anyone say anything bad about it, like anywhere. So I've it's on seen, everybody's best list. I've seen one podcast that hated it for some reason, and I don't quite understand. I think their criticism was that it wasn't as as good at deck building as some other game, and it wasn't as good as worker placement as some other game. So they would just go play those other games. But for me, I like this game so much that. I've never seen any of the Dune anythings or read any of them, and I fully intend to now because. Oh my gosh, I think I think you're right, Donnie. I think uh, now that I play that game, I'm like, well, now I want to see the movie so I know who all these houses are and who these characters. <laughs> yeah. Are. You should read the book. The books are great. Well, I might do that. Too. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I agree though. Like, if you're looking to get a full deck building experience out of it. Uh, you won't, happen. but uh, that's that's not why it's fun. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Cool. I haven't heard anyone claiming it. It is a true like deck building, deck building game from top to bottom. I think it's don't they do like so with worker placement and deck building? Yes, yeah, and yeah. so that gets compared to Lost Ruins of Arnak a little bit because that also has deck building and worker placement in it. And going into it, I was like, well, this you know, which which game's better? Which one should I get? And after playing doing imperium i'm like well there's room for both i i would own both these games yeah no that's good also <laughs> i was gonna say good to know because i love dune like i've been a fan of the dune series since i was a kid but uh, i also really love our neck and i don't have either and i've been debating picking the other one up and yeah, both <laughs> oh my shelf space is getting ridiculous but I would um, say that i would say the deck building is actually stronger in dune imperium than it is in lost ruins of arnak I feel like in Lost Ruins of Arnak, you kind of like, uh, I can afford this card, so I'll, I'll throw it. Because it goes in the top of your deck, too, which is different than yeah. most deck builders. So you're just going to get that card right away. So you don't really feel like you're building a deck. You're, you're buying a card that's going to go in your hand. Yeah, you're prepping it. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's I can totally see them. I, the little I know about Imperium, it didn't like I've played Arnak. I've not played this one, but the little I know, it didn't seem like a, a one for one. So that's great to hear that you could yeah, no, easily get both and not feel like you're redundant. Both have their place. Yep. Cool. Well, guys, I think we are about at our hour, but yeah, let's uh, so let's do a quick summation, like your thoughts of fun, both of you, and kind of your thoughts of like um, just quickly, like where it comes into design and how. Um, you think of it in your own personal experience. I, you can touch on it a little bit yourself, Donnie, about like your current experiences, but like if you could summarize it um, in that way, just like where where is its place and how soon and important is it to think of that as you're starting a design? I think it's uh, super important to not get so far ahead of yourself that you forget about fun and remember that fun is, is somewhat organic and there absolutely are things that you can do to inspire you know those feelings of fun when people play it but it really for me the thing that i have to remember is to uh, like corey said fail fast and you know i have these ideas for mechanisms but i have to put those in front of people to see if those are gonna help inspire fun instead of sort of writing an entire story and then being disappointed when it doesn't go the way i want it to go so it's it's really about having an idea of where you want to go but checking in, you know, as early as possible to to course correct if possible. Yeah, I like that. That makes a lot of sense. What do you think, Corey? Again, just uh, put something out there. Try to identify what is fun based on the player reactions or simply asking them and amplify that as much as possible. Make that your game. Don't yep. you, know, you might have gone in thinking one part of your game was the core game and find out something totally different was the core game. Like, oh, I didn't expect this to be a fun thing. So now I'm going to roll my game where that's the centralized point instead. Uh, and I think there's a big part to finding the right group to play test your game. Like you, if you're making a worker placement game and you you give it to a bunch of people who hate worker placement games, well, you probably aren't going to get a good idea of if your game is fun or not. So I think there is a lot to to say about having the right audience play test your game when you're looking at fun specifically yep. yeah i like that that's great advice well thank you guys so much for being on it was really fun to have you uh back on and uh we'll have to do another <laughs> invite to you sooner than we have <laughs> this previous yes. span of time <laughs> absolutely we took a break as well i guess so that's part to blame but um yeah i, I really like that those are two great pieces of advice i like the idea of touching base uh but also leading you letting the game lead you to where the fun is is are those two really great pieces of advice all right everybody thank you guys thanks for having thank us. you yeah yes. thank, thank you so much thank you guys all for listening uh you can of course reach out to us in a couple ways if you want to tell us what is a fun for you in a game or games that you think are fun or what kind of kills the fun for you in a game at in a few different ways uh twitter and instagram at roasted games one you can also go to our facebook page roasted games and always go to the eavesdrop.com podcast hosting page where we are hosted scroll down to the roasted games page fill out our comment form there we would love to hear from you all and hear what you're playing and until next time we'll catch you on the next episode Bill, no bye. Did you say bye? I, I said bye. Oh, okay. Oh, didn't hear didn't it. You didn't hear it. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Give me a good bye to splice in. Bye. <laughs> bye. Bye, everybody. <laughs>